Hello and welcome to the River and Panhandle's weekly podcast. We are so excited that you are tuning in for this week's message. Before we get started, there are a few things that we would love for you to do. Share it, subscribe, and rate the podcast. So the message is about to begin. We hope that you are encouraged and that you always remember, no role is insignificant. Every life matters and go out and make a difference. Christ is no longer in the grave. He is alive. He is risen. And not only is he not there, but he's not in Jerusalem or Washington, D.C. or Moscow or anywhere else on this planet. He has left here and he has gone to heaven to prepare a place for his children. And one day we will get to walk with him in perfection and holiness and experience all the beauty and the power and the grace and the wisdom of what it means to be the son of a living God and the heir to a kingdom because Jesus Christ made that so. Amen? Man, if you aren't excited about that, you have picked the wrong place to be this morning. We are here to celebrate a risen, eternal, victorious King, and we will not hold back from Him today. We will not hold back from Him any day. Why? Because He is a God of mercy and grace, and He did stuff for us. He did everything for us that we could not do for ourselves, and He is worthy of whatever little bit of praise we have to bring. And that's why we're here. So happy Easter. I hope your heart is more excited about that than your face right now. I ain't angry at you, but the nine o'clock crowd was awake and active. And I mean, I don't want to report back to them that even though there were fewer of them, that they were, look, I'm not judging you. It's time to get excited about Jesus, okay? It's Easter, right? This ain't St. Patrick's Day. It's Easter. Man, what a good God. A God of mercy and grace. In 1992, I borrowed my mom and dad's Honda Accord to go skiing in Breckenridge with a couple of buddies. And... uh, the last day we had finished skiing, three or four days, the last day we were about to head out of town. And so I drove down to get gas in the, uh, in the Accord and got into town and it had, it had frozen overnight and a truck kind of whipped out of the way a little bit. And so I hit the brakes and a little front wheel drive, useless. And I go slide into the back of another car and I wreck my mom and dad's Honda in Breckenridge. And so we ended up towing it down to a little place and say, you know, the radiator's damaged. And he said, well, I can't repair that. I'm going to have to replace it. And it's going to take a few days. Well, we can't stay here. And so we went down to another place and they told us the same thing. Can't repair, got to replace. Uh, There's another place up. We drive up there. About six hours later, we finally realized we are not going to get this radiator replaced here. So we'll go pick up a tow dolly and just haul the Honda Accord back to uh, Texas. 
And so we got to go over to Denver, which is another hour and a half. We get over to Denver, get a tow dolly from U-Haul, get back over, put the Honda on the tow dolly. And about 10 hours after the accident, we're back on the road. We're driving down from Colorado to Wichita Falls. And you know in Amarillo, when you come into town from the north, you know there's a split. You know what I'm talking about? You've done that probably, right? You go into downtown and then it splits. At this point, and I have no idea why they even let me drive one of the other vehicles, but I'm driving the car behind the Bronco pulling my parents' Honda Accord. And all of a sudden, that Honda Accord still attached to the tow dolly comes off of the Bronco and starts going up the side of the embankment. Right? I'm like, that didn't feel right, but it, but it totally happened, right? And so that car, thank the Lord, came to a nice, easy stop up on top of the embankment and then began to roll backwards, back down the embankment. And, you know, we, pull, we stop and I'm watching the whole thing go, no, 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 into traffic, but it hits a light pole. So Within 24 hours, I wrecked my mom and dad's Honda Accord in the front and the back. I'm like, man, what am I going to do? My parents are going to kill me. And one of the dads on the trip with us says, look, Brent, don't call your mom and dad. There's nothing they can do about it here. Let's just get the car back to Wichita Falls. And so I followed his advice. And we get back to Wichita Falls, and then I call my mom and dad. Hey, mom and dad. <clears throat> so I had a little accident. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> and my mom and dad were not happy with me, as you can imagine. And they were not upset that I had wrecked the car. I mean, they were, but that's not what they... It's that I didn't call them. It's that I didn't tell them. <laughs> I, got, I got a mom and grandma going, that's right. <laughs> dummy. Right. And in the days following, man, I experienced something really special and profound. And my mom and dad were genuinely just glad I was okay, that nobody was hurt. But they showed grace. They showed mercy to me. I didn't have to pay for it. They had insurance. They never let me drive their cars again, but... I mean, they understood, made a mistake, and they forgave me of that, right? And I think over the years, I genuinely learned a lot about grace and mercy from my mom and dad. And I do this thing all the time, and it bugs Ashley so much. But I'll say, look, everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. We've all got stuff that we bring with us into a relationship, into a room, into a conversation. And we all need grace and mercy, don't we? I'm here to declare for you today that the author and the perfecter of grace and mercy, who in abundance out of all the compassion, but the zeal and the passion of his love for you and me gave himself freely to die in our place when we did not deserve it. He showed us mercy, yes, but he also showed us grace. 
And there's power in both. And I want us to look at that this morning. First Peter chapter one, verses three through seven. First Peter one, starting in verse three. Peter says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, comma, there's more to come. But let's stay there for a second. You know what the difference between mercy and grace is, right? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is is getting what you do not deserve, right? Both equally powerful and profound. We need both. But God, according to his great mercy, meaning I'm not going to give you what you really deserve, he gives us the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who in the garden even has a moment when he wrestles with God and he says, God, if it's possible, any way for this cup to pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. It was an act of mercy, an act of grace, where Jesus steps in to our stead and he chooses the arrest, the brutal beatings, the crucifixion, and the death on the cross to be put in a tomb. But by his might and by his power, by his glory, because of his mercy, because of his grace for us, he could not stay there. Why? Because God had promised him, step into earth, die for their sins, and you will receive a name that is above all names. The only one who's ever raised himself from the dead. Other people were risen from the dead. Lazarus is one we're very familiar with. But he didn't do that for himself. Jesus did this for himself. Crushed the head of the enemy, stomped on death, and said, death is defeated. No longer will death reign over those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you are a Christian, you are a child of God, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come, no matter what you've done, you get new life and death has no hold on your life. 2020, we watched cancel culture take over our world. You remember this? Baseball season, Final Four, concerts all over the place proms were all canceled because of COVID. And then that cancel culture turned into something totally different, where then people started canceling each other because they disagreed with one another. You with me? And there became this back and forth. There still exists this back and forth. We don't like you. We disagree with you. We're going to cancel that. You don't like us. You disagree with us. You're going to cancel this, this cancel culture. I'm here to tell you right now, Jesus Christ stepped into our world and canceled death. He canceled loss. He canceled pain. He canceled fear. He canceled divorce. He canceled abortion. He canceled hatred. He canceled sadness. 
It doesn't mean we don't live through and experience some of those things, but we're no longer prisoners to them. They have no reign on us. They have no power in our lives. Only Jesus Christ, by his mercy, stepped in and said, I take it all on my shoulders, stretched out his arms on the cross, pierced with nails in his wrists and feet, and died so that we no longer have to. Mercy. That is not a cliche. Lord, have mercy. And he did. Jesus died for us by his mercy. According to his great mercy, look at verse, the, the next part of verse 3. Because of his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The story of Jesus does not end on the cross. The reason we don't have crosses with a man hanging on them is because Jesus vacated that cross and took temporary residence in a tomb. He died and he was buried. But we're not here today to celebrate the tomb because he's not on a cross. We're here to celebrate an empty tomb because he chose not to stay there either. He walked out of the tomb and then when his sisters, when his friends came to treat his body, prepare his body, he wasn't there. What did they do? They went and they ran and told their friends, he's not there. He is alive. He's risen. And that then became for us the invitation to resurrection with him. I have come, John 10.10, 10, that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus' invitation for you and me is to get up out of our grave, to stand on our feet, and to walk out victorious with him. Death could not hold Jesus. He is alive. And he's preparing a place for you. He's preparing a place for me. Back in heaven, back at the right hand of his father, preparing a place for you and me. And he could not have done it if he didn't raise up out of that tomb. And then if he didn't ascend back to be with his father. And so when we celebrate things like baptism, which we had in the 9 a.m. service this morning, there's a picture there of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus that we get to be a part of. It's an invitation not just to follow in obedience in baptism because he did it while he was on earth. It's bigger than that. That's still true, but the invitation is no longer be a prisoner to death, no longer be shackled by your sin. Yes, you will die a physical death, but you can also live an eternal spiritual life. We come up out of the water with Jesus and we get to be with him forever and ever in eternity as heirs to the king, heirs to the throne, because Jesus said it was so. (laughs) This is what Easter is all about. 
This is why we are here. We celebrate a risen Jesus, His resurrection. Verse 4, 1 Peter 1.4. We have a living hope through Jesus from the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Jesus Christ, while he's no longer here on earth, he sent the Holy Spirit to come and dwell with us. Why? To keep the message of the living hope alive. The Spirit of God then dwells in his believers among his children with us as his church to empower us and embolden us to gift us a privilege and a communication, a oneness with God still on earth because heaven, while it's going to be glorious and it's going to be great and it's going to be radiant and it's going to be beautiful and it's always going to be sunny and there's going to be palm trees and wakeboards and whatever is in heaven. I don't know. It'll be great but it doesn't have to be something we wait for. Here, today, Jesus Christ is calling you into not just a heaven that's made of gold streets and crystal seas, but he's calling you and me into a relationship where there's oneness with the king of the universe. There's a closeness, a nearness with almighty God. There is a safety and a freedom that is found in being able to call on his name and know that he answers you and that he wants you and he wants to be near you and that he loves you regardless of your past. He's for you. Nothing you've ever done will ever deny you a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing you've ever done could keep you from knowing him and from him knowing you. Nothing you've ever done will ever stop him from invading your life and setting you free from all the guilt and the shame that you once felt for your sin. Heaven exists right here, right now, for you. It's not as pretty and as maybe as cute or maybe as lovely or maybe as safe as that heaven is but it's presence with God. It's oneness with God. This is what he wants for you. David in Psalm 27, 13 said, surely I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He wasn't talking about a someday heaven. He's talking about right now. Surely I will see the goodness of the Lord right here in my life. This is what he wants for you. This is who he is for you. He wants to replace all of the guilt and the shame and the hurt and the pain and the loss, all of that stuff that, you had, that you've had to walk through. He wants to make all things new for you. Not someday, today. Right now. This is who Jesus is for us. And so our heaven is good. The thing we long for one day is good and it will be 
matchless. And I don't know how you feel about, about this, about church. Maybe you're here because your mom made you come. Maybe you don't like the music, you don't know the words, and it feels awkward. Here's what I know for sure. That eternity with Jesus in heaven at the right hand of God, singing songs you don't know that go on and on and on and on and on will be so much greater than the alternative of not being in the presence of God. You won't even care what song you're singing. You'll say, bring it on. The more verses and the more choruses and the more lines that repeat, the better. I could do this forever, amen? Because it beats the other option. This is what God's calling us to. Not a better deal, but to nearness and oneness with Him. To be so in love with Him and to be so changed and so moved and so new because of Him that you just want more of Him. That's what heaven looks like doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. You're not. But it means his company, his presence, that's that's perfect. That's where he wants you. That's where he's calling you. That's what he longs for in your life. Verse 5. 1 Peter 1.5. So it's kept in heaven all these beautiful Things are kept in heaven for us who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God is constantly at work in and around and through and for us. And when we first have our eyes opened and we see God for who He is, then something beautiful, supernatural, eternal changes in us. And we get to see Him clearly for the first time. And He steps into our lives and He saves us salvation. He saves us by His mercy, by His grace from a death that we owed. We owed a death penalty because of our sin. Not just big sins, any sin. And Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Romans 6 goes on to say the cost or the wage of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So here's what Jesus did. Jesus stepped into our lives and he paid that death penalty for you and me because we were never capable of paying it to God on our own. And so Jesus came and he died on the cross and he was buried and he rose from the dead to pay the price that we could not pay. And it goes back to the garden for us. When the serpent, Satan, came and he tempted Adam and Eve He said, did did God tell you that you can have anything except for this one little tree? This this tree in the center of the garden, that's where where the knowledge of good and evil exists. He doesn't want you to taste that fruit because then you'll 
you'll be like him. You'll know what he knows. And he lured them, seduction of sin, to taste of that fruit. Their intentions, while still disobedient, because God said, you can have anything you want except this fruit. Their seduction, their temptation was, well, we want to know what God knows. We want to be like God. We, we want to experience what he experiences. And so they ate of the fruit and they were expelled from the garden. And when they were expelled from the garden, they covered themselves with leaves. What do leaves do? They die. And they could not escape the reality that they were naked and ashamed because of their sin. And so you know what had to happen? In order for them to be covered, an animal had to be slain. Death had to occur. And they took the skin of that animal and they covered their nakedness. And so for the rest of humanity, the cost of sin is death. But Jesus Christ stepped into our little world and he said, your sin cannot be covered by the skin of an animal. There is no lamb worthy to be put on the altar that will cover your sin. There is no sacrifice that can be made by a priest that will make you right with God. Therefore, Jesus Christ said, I will make all things right between you and God the Father. He became the final lamb. He became the victor, the sacrifice, the scapegoat, the sacrifice for us. This is where salvation lies in the person of Jesus Christ. Nowhere else, no other means, no other way. This is why, this is why 2 Samuel 22 says, the Lord lives and blessed be the rock, the God of my salvation. May he be exalted. This is why we worship and gather and sing and pray and have women's events and have student ministry and have kids ministry. This is why we do these things. This is why we have prayer retreats. This is why we take communion so that the God of our salvation can be exalted so that we can remember he did it. We can't do it. He did it for ourselves so that we don't have to. He set us free. (laughs) That's worthy of celebration. It's worthy of Easter brunch. Am I right? More than that. More than that. He came to save you because you could not save yourself. And that's worthy of a celebration. How do we celebrate? Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 
You know what the word rejoice means? It literally means, Greek kairos means to go back to joy, to stay in God's joy, to remain, rejoice, remain in God's love. Even when your world feels like it's falling apart, even when your stuff doesn't make sense, even when you are surrounded by the enemy and you're hurting and you feel alone or you feel frightened or financial ends don't meet or your children are falling apart or your marriage is falling apart or you lose a loved one or you lose a child. We face these trials so that we grow and we learn to understand that Jesus Christ is enough. We don't have it in us to ever be or do or say or sing or pray enough. It's never, ever enough. You know how I know that? Because 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul reminds us that Jesus told him, my grace is sufficient. It's enough for you. In fact, Jesus goes on to tell Paul, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. It's when you hurt, when you fear, when you doubt, when you're alone, when you feel shame and guilt. It's when you feel all those things. That's when you need him the very most. And that's where Jesus steps into your life and says, you can't do this on your own. He has to be your salvation. He has to be your stairway, your doorway to heaven. He has to be the front door of mercy and grace for you. He has to be your resurrection. Jesus Christ is the way. We rejoice even when we're in trial because Jesus Christ changed everything. And even though we don't feel like celebrating, Happiness happens. Am I right? So does unhappiness. Welcome to the real world. Happiness happens. Unhappiness happens. But what doesn't have to change is that our eyes are connected with the Creator, Almighty God, and we never lose sight of our joy. Our joy remains in Him not in our circumstance. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what's happened in your life outside of this room. But here's what I do know. Jesus Christ allowed Himself to be turned over to the authorities and allowed a world of sinful humans to nail Him to a cross. And then when his body stopped, he allowed them to put him into a grave. And then he decided, enough is enough. And he walked out of the grave, left it empty for them to deal with because he was coming back to declare he could not be contained by this world. Your sin, your pain, your hurt, your loss cannot, cannot keep you from knowing the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ who conquered sin and death and gave you the right to be an image bearer 
an heir, a promised victor, a champion of grace with him. That's the invitation that we would learn to rejoice, not in our circumstance, but in who he is. That's the way God rigged the system. There's one more part to this passage. Verse 7. We've been grieved by various trials. Verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's where it gets really, really good. Tested by fire, as gold, purified, our faith put through a fire. Do you know how gold gets purified? Some of you have heard this. You may know about this process. It's called volatization. And what that means is the volatile metals have to be purified from gold bullion, from the ore. And the way they do that is they heat up the gold ore, the bullion, to about 1,100 degrees. And what happens is all of the volatile metals rise to the surface. And then they can come along and they scoop the imperfect, impure, perishable, fading, volatile metals out of the gold in order that it might be valuable and perfect, unfading, beautiful. This is what Jesus Christ does for you and me in my life. You're facing trials. I get it. You walk through hard times. We understand. You're hurting right now. I promise you we empathize and we want to be here for you and pray for you and be a friend and help see you through. Jesus Christ understood it because he gave himself up and was brutally beaten and thrown on a cross, murdered at the hands of sinners and thrown in a grave. He understands your pain. We go through that pain in order that he might step into our lives and take all the impurity, imperfections out to cleanse us from all of that unrighteousness so that we can then be found perfect, unfading, imperishable, without equal before God the Father. So, when God the Father looks at his child, a Christian, a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus, when God the Father looks at his child, he no longer sees the pain, guilt, shame, suffering, poor choices, sin, lust, deceit. He no longer sees that. What God the Father sees is Jesus who has covered your life. He made a final offering of his life for all of the sin, forever, for you. 
He laid it all down. So Jesus, who became the broken one, he became the volatile metal scooped away so that all that was left is his presence, his covering over your life. He set you free all because of him. So, whatever you think or know or believe about your situation with God, if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, here's what I know. Your songs, your beautiful song of praise is not what saved you. It was Jesus. Your prayerfulness, your goodness and kindness towards others is not what saves you. It was Jesus. Your joy, even if you're able to hang on and to complete and have joy and to rejoice, that's not what saves you. It's Jesus. Your confession of your own sin, repentance of sin, that's not what saves you. It's Jesus. Jesus uses all those things as vehicles, as pathways to get us to a relationship with him. But it's always been and always will be Jesus that saves us. It always has been and always will be his grace and his mercy for us that saves us. We cannot save ourselves. Only Jesus can do that. And we celebrate that. We celebrate that in a big way. But you know what else we celebrate? And this is another reason that we're here today. As the worship team comes up and we begin to wrap up this morning's celebration together. Jesus not only stayed completely above the death at the hands of men, and he not only came out of the grave, and he not only ascended off of earth back into heaven to prepare a place for us. Jesus is coming again. The King is coming. And so the question then remains for you and me, what do you do with Jesus? Today, whatever you've brought into this room, whatever your plan for success is, whatever your strategy and your goals for being right with God are, forget it if it doesn't have Jesus Christ at the center. Forget it if it doesn't have you getting on your knees and saying, God, I confess, I confess, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is God's son. And I confess my faith in Jesus as my savior. Anything short of that is just a good exercise, an, a good idea but it's not God's idea. God's idea is for you to be emptied so that Jesus can come in and make you right with God the Father. That's the invitation this morning.
that you would come and you would be at least honest with yourself and say, I've tried way too hard to do this on my own. I need Jesus. I'm going to be right down here. There's going to be some people in the corners. We just want to pray with you, hear you, care for you, and show you that Jesus is not done with your life. He is for you. Conquered death for you. Is that good news this morning? Something to celebrate, right? God, we all need you. We are all desperately in need of you every day, every moment. Father, we cannot save ourselves. We acknowledge that. And we just tell you, God, that today we, we've tried so many other things and not fully embraced you, who you are, or tried to understand you, or wanted to know you, or needed you, or we didn't even know we needed you. Whatever it sounds like, God, today, you will make all things new. And we celebrate that. And we give thanks for that. Come, help us. We need you, God. Thank you. Thank you for walking out of that grave. You were alive. And we remember that today. In Jesus' name we pray. And that's this week's message. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired. If you would like to join our online campus and experience the service as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing and blessed week.